So are you ready? Oh, for my we're ready. Sexy quiz. Bring it okay, on. Great. So number one, true or false, a study found women are more able to have orgasms with their socks on than without their socks on. True. I have read this study. <laughs> I'm saying true because Erin is so... I am so confident about in her answer. True. <laughs> that is correct. It actually, anything that can help our bodies feel like they're safe, warm, secure, yeah. lets our body do its thing, right? We're just clearing out the way for it to do what it knows how to do. That, that makes so much context. sense. I love it. Yes. Okay. All right. Yes. Okay. Number two. I'm going to give you a list of the common types of lube used for sexual activities. Which one should you not use if you're using latex condoms? And which one should not be used with sex toys made out of certain materials? So water-based, oil-based, silicone-based, or hybrid water plus silicone. So which one can't you use with latex condoms? And which one should you be cautious with based on the material of your sex toy if you're using one? I thought, I think it, is it both oil, oil based? For which one? For both of them or am I incorrect there? (laughs) (laughs) So oil degrades the latex in a latex condom. condom, So yeah, definitely don't want to be using an oil or an oil based loop because some people will just grab coconut oil. Yeah. Which is totally fine, right? Uh Depending on um, your parts and how they respond. Some of it's kind of a trial and error, but, and then with silicone based sex toys, which is a very safe and great material to have, um, as a part of your sex toy, you don't want to use a silicone lube because it's going to degrade the surface of the sex toy. Um, and some hybrid ones you can spot test and they say that it's okay. Okay. So sometimes you can do a, a combo water and silicone because the silicone is going to make it last longer and not get gummy, which is why people like it. Cool. This is so fascinating. You just got to go to Smith and Kitten <laughs> in Minneapolis. I, I'm doing a call out to the best sex positive store that I work with. The best. In, in Minneapolis I know. area. That's awesome. Yeah, I email with them sometimes. I do too. I'm like, hey, somebody needs a strap on. Yeah. Like, what do you think? I love it. Yeah. I, I send people there all, right. all the time. Did you know we'd be and... getting into this? Yeah, anal plugs, whatever it is. This is a this is a really good warm up to this conversation today. I'm glad yes, we're just diving is. right yeah. in. All right. Okay. So number three, according to recent research, which is the most common sexual fantasy amongst adult Americans? So the first one is, and this is all one answer. So a novelty adventure and variety so like new sexual activities or having sex in a different location than perhaps you normally do b passion and romance so that's just generally being deeply loved or desired or passionately wanted by another person and then c is multi-partner sex so that would be like threesomes or having sex with multiple people at the same time did they ask equal men and women in this study? Uh, yeah, all, all genders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or non-binary. Um, I, I want to say A, the novelty, the new, exciting, different. Mm-hmm. 
I want to say A because I feel like culturally that's what we have, but I'm going to go with B. So it's actually C. Wow. Each of these is in the top seven, according to Dr. Justin Lay Miller's research. Okay. Um, And we can drop a mention of his book, um, Tell Me What You Want, in the description. But multi-partner sex was found to be the number one, and I think it's around a third of the participants in his study said that it was their favorite fantasy of all time. Oh, I love it. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Learning something. So much new information today. Welcome. This is Body, Brain, and Pain. I'm Dr. Erin Babineau, an orthopedic specialist and public health physical therapist. And I'm Dr. Kayla Conway, a pediatric physical therapist that specializes in chronic pain. In this podcast, we will continue to dive into the ideas and research around why we hurt, the confusions and misconceptions that come with this, and how to be the best advocate for yourself in our ever-changing healthcare system. Okay, everyone. We have been so spoiled to have these spectacular clinicians on our podcast, and we can hardly wait to introduce our guest today. Woohoo! I think I've been waiting over a year to have her on this podcast, something like that, since our last walk when you were in Minnesota. <laughs> I think so. Um, but we have a very special guest FaceTiming in from Colorado. Drum roll, please. Lillian Bailey. Lillian is a licensed marriage and family therapist who also has a large focus of her practice in sex therapy. She practices virtual care in Colorado, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. This past springtime, Lillian recently got married and moved to Colorado, so is now in Denver with her partner and her three cats. She is now doing remote therapy in all three of these states, though, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Colorado. Uh, I was obviously very sad she left Minnesota as she is such a large part of my care team here. I always say she is the expert on our master organ, our brain, Um, but I'm also excited that she still can do virtual care and has been taking care of all the people in Minnesota I see from afar. So Lillian and I met in St. Paul, Minnesota through our own practices, and I think we met as typical providers do, um, where we shared many patients together. And I believe you found me, uh, which is, I think I did, yeah, uh, yeah. which I love, but you knew the importance so much of healing our brains and bodies at the same time. And, um, I feel like it was like kind of a cold call situation and came in and like introduced yourself. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which I love. And then I was like, <laughs> this, this is exactly who I was looking for in my life. I need an awesome mental health provider. And, um, yeah, I I just was so impressed from you by day one and continue to learn so much from you. Uh, And you've proven time after time just how important mental health therapy is part of healing people with persistent pain. So thank you, Lillian, for being here. I'm forever thankful for any time or phone call I can spend with you because I learned so much from you. So thanks for joining us today. 
Your listeners can't see I'm blushing so much <laughs> over here. Oh I know. I could keep going on. I'm like rambling and being like, um, but yeah, thanks for joining us on this chilly Sunday Thank morning you. for snowfall in Minnesota over here. Thank you. Yeah. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. Um, did I miss anything in your intro? Again, I, I feel like. so. No? You feel good about it? Yeah. Okay. I feel great about it. <laughs> Well, let's get going. Um, so I guess I've never really asked you this, I don't think. So I, I, mm-hmm. I feel like I know you so well, but I never have asked, you know, how did you get interested in working with people with persistent pain? Yeah. So I, when I was about 22, went through um, a major orthopedic injury um, from doing sports and, but I didn't know what was happening at first, right? So it was my senior year of college in Eastern Washington and I'm playing ultimate Frisbee and doing all the things. And all of a sudden I start noticing, like if I sit cross-legged, I'm like, ouch, like my, my right hip really hurts. Like that's kind of, that's kind of weird. And so, but I didn't really make much of it, right? Cause it's just when I'm sitting crisscross applesauce. Um, but then it sort of like keeps progressing and I'm noticing that like, oh, if I sit for a long time or I drive or, you know, I play a lot of sports, you know, I go to a tournament, it's like, oh, this is kind of like building and building. And, but like many of us, you know, of course, I'm very committed to ignoring it at first. <laughs> very human and not a bad thing. No. Yeah. We tell people that all the time. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Something I've definitely learned from you, right? We don't want to. <laughs> make too big of a deal or not enough of a yes. deal out of anything. Balancing act, is, yes. Right? <laughs> um, but so, yeah, it kind of continues. And I start, and I think I go to primary care, and I go to a couple different physical therapists, and I'm just really confused. Um, and I start limiting what I'm doing because I'm, you know, I'm trying to, like, avoid the pain. I'm like, okay, I can't really play ultimate Frisbee right now. And that was really difficult because that's like a really big part of my identity. It's a part of my, an integral part of my, the fabric of my social relationships. And I was moving to a new city at that time. And so I'm just feeling like really alone and really confused and really lost. And I'm in pain. Um, and, and it was a really tough, you know, for some people, they get diagnosed right away. I, you know, wasn't. And I know sometimes we never know, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Or we don't. And that's something I've learned from you, too. Yeah. But um, I just felt like I needed more people that understood what was happening and could really help me support myself through that time. I ended up getting surgery, you know, which sometimes is something that is helpful or necessary, sometimes isn't, but in my case, it was what I decided to do. And there was a lot of stuff built into that too, like my insurance didn't want to cover it. And there were two different surgical approaches that were recommended and I had to decide because there wasn't clear clinical data. So, I mean, you can imagine, even as you listen to me, right, like that's a lot for a human to kind of parse through, yeah. especially at 22. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's so, so many of our patients' stories. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so I, you know, got through that. Um, I didn't, I was in therapy at the time too, partially because of that and the effects of it, yeah. but I didn't, 
I don't know, no shade at all towards that therapist. I think she was great, but I don't think she really, that was her thing. Yeah. Um, is this a mental health therapist you're talking about? Yeah, correct. Yes. Okay. yes. Sorry. I know yeah. I need to clarify. I think, mental I'm I was in stat, yeah. I don't, but I do think it's only about 20 to 30%. I haven't looked at the recent data, but of providers right now know how to chat about this stuff. Yeah. About chronic, chronic pain. pain. Sorry. Chronic, chronic persistent pain. pain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so basically to make a long story short, I, you know, started my graduate degree and everything. And I was thinking I would like to be the person that I needed at the time. Right. And so that's really what I want to do. Um, Knowing that somebody else's story won't have the same components or maybe they won't need exactly what I needed, but whatever you need, right. That's what I want to provide. Yeah. And I think, I mean, isn't that, that is what we all want in a Mm -hmm. mental health therapist, someone who can meet us, who has the skills to help us, but can meet us where we are and Mm -hmm. make it matter to us. So hear what you need. Oh yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Validate and hear it. And, and having that experience means something. And I know a lot of, a lot of my patients care, like how many patients do you know who have a story like mine or, Mm -hmm. you know, they want to know that they are not alone, but that also you can help them. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So yeah, with all of that experience that you've had personally, and then obviously going to school to be a mental health therapist, to be that person for people, um, you know, how does that impact how you treat patients? Like, what does your day to day look like? How are you? You know, what is this? What does mental mm-hmm. health therapy look like for this population? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the way I like to talk about to kind of start with what do you do? I mean, I just like to put it really simply. So people get stuck around a lot of different things. And I think a lot of us have had a lot of moments of stuckness during the pandemic, Mm -hmm. right? I like to say there's a second pandemic of loneliness that is sweeping through us right Mm now. Um, But yeah, even, even under quote unquote normal times, right? There is relationship issues, right? There might be something going on with my body, right? There might be medical treatment or physical therapy or things like that, chronic pain. Um, You know, my day is just like so different. You know, I see three or four different people. It's like, I think my average right now. And we could just be walking into lots of different life stories. And so it's really like, it's all good and it's all welcome. Um, but that's what I like to say is like, I help people figure out how do I deal with whatever emotions and thoughts are happening inside of me, right? If that's feeling stuck, right? Like a repetitive worry, for example, that I, I feel like is, is sort of like radio static. That's like, like, and, and now I can't hear what's going on in my life besides that. Right. Um, or yeah, I'm having trouble somebody in their marriage and you know their sexual connection or something like that. So it's it's a lot of variety, um, but that's that's kind of what a, a day looks like is just just seeing people, mm-hmm. yeah, and talking about all these different things. I love that, and um, I'm going to chime in here because I work with you very closely with shared people that were trying to support through a t- tough time and. Um, I think it's, I always say, and you taught me this, Lillian, which I love um, and really confirmed it, but just, uh, you know, our, we always say our bodies have a brain and our brains have a body. And (laughs) oftentimes we access both at the same time. And 
And so I love having you available when I can sense that stuck point and getting them, like I said, in the right office to process that. And I think the hardest part is just the stigma around it and knowing that with persistent pain, we know that, you know, that output message from our brain is a huge driver of that. And so finding those stuck points is actually them tending to their pain. Um, yes. But I, I really hope people listening today know that that's part of healing that. And I don't know if you have a good way of explaining that or kind of what you do with clients in pain, because I think for people to really understand that is so important. And that's probably the hardest thing about my job when I'm getting them to try to see you is that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just, a lot of my work, the, the kind of garden variety, anxiety, depression, therapy work, the sex therapy work, everything, it's like, just how can I support myself right now and support my body to do what it wants to do what is natural to it right like i i have this really strong belief that people are driven towards healing and they know but i'm just here to kind of help you figure out and discover what Mm -hmm. what does that look like right so we talked about that in another episode um we one of my favorite podcasts is armchair expert i don't know if you've ever listened to it with dak shepherd but he had a um neurobiologist on i think i can't you know, I'm not going to remember exactly what his name is or anything at this point, but um, he talked about how, you know, the biggest thing about our biological system is that it drives us toward pleasure and happiness and healing and away from pain. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and we were saying like, you know, sometimes that's why chronic pain and persistent pain can be so hard. Like you were talking about how you just kind of ignored your pain mm-hmm. or you were, you know, pushing mm-hmm. through it and just, you know, even though you were, you know, struggling and suffering through it. Like you just kind of push away from that because you want to go toward the healing part. And right. and to have this, you know, multidisciplinary team where a mental health therapist is part of that team um, is so important for the full, true healing. Um, so kind of talk, talk to us a little bit about what your role is like on that team. You know, how, yeah. you, how you kind of help these patients navigate. Yeah. I think there's so, so many layers of roles. I'm, I'm always referencing Shrek, like, you know, ogres are like onions. onions. But yeah, I mean, I think part of my role is to be sort of like a command central, right? Um, Similar to what you all as physical therapists do. I think we've talked a lot about how we have, we see you pretty frequently, so we can really check in with you with how things are going. But um, I think people wouldn't expect this, but I think I help resolve pretty big communication gaps between doctors and patients. So like doctor, you know, explains what's going on Mm. to their patient, you know, and they think the patient's like, okay, yeah, I got this. I know what I need to do for my treatment. And I think we've all had that experience of being in the doctor's office and nodding and just saying, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, I totally get what you're saying. And then you walk out and maybe you go home and your roommate or your partner or your mom or whoever asks you, okay, what what happened to your doctor's visit? And you're just, uh. I had a patient say that last week to me. She goes, I say yes to you in these appointments, but I go home and I don't do it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I, yeah, 
I really tell people, I mean, I, I'll be that person that asks them, okay, what happened with Dr. So-and-so? And they'll give me that response. And then sometimes I will either say, oh, so it sounds like maybe, yeah, we should talk to that doctor and, and figure out what the treatment plan is or what, you know, we're doing with this part of your recovery. Or sometimes I'll call them, right, and have a direct conversation um, and with, with the patient's permission, obviously, but try to resolve whatever is going on. Or, or maybe there's a moment where you need to advocate for yourself. You know, something I hear with PT a lot is you all have so many amazing exercises to get the brain and the body syncing up in the way that we want. Um, but sometimes, for example, somebody, maybe they're having a really busy time in their life and for them, five PT exercises a day is way too many. Mm-hmm. I know I've definitely, I've been to a lot of PT people. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm a veteran. Three is I, usually plenty. Sometimes it's right. one though, you know? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, but your energy going into that one, like if your energy is like, wow, I can really do this. And Sometimes something I do a lot with people is if I'm giving them some sort of homework or home play, I'll say, I want you to come out of this. I want you to have a seven out of 10 or greater confidence that this will happen if we're going to say that you're going to do it. And so, but anyway, I, I feel like there's a lot of that too with PT where someone's like, I just can't do all this stuff and I'm feeling really discouraged. And, and so then we talk about, okay, so what could we go back and say to that person? Mm -hmm. And when I'm working with somebody amazing like one of you two the response is oh my gosh yeah let's do two instead of three Mm -hmm. if that is what feels good to your nervous system right now um and there's a lot of support and cheerleading you know somebody sometimes these journeys we're walking are years long or we're not totally sure how long it's going to take and that's a long time to be walking that road by yourself oh yeah so well it's impossible to do by yourself no I mean, and I think, I think that's, that's a cool thing that we've learned through this work is that in, in many areas of physical therapy, I, someone walks into my clinic, they have knee pain, you know, we've got, we, it's acute knee pain. They had an injury, whatever we treat it. They get better. They leave. They didn't need anyone other than me with patients with persistent pain, chronic pain. It is so important. There's no way I could ever do it by myself. When we had um, Dr. Armfield on last time, I was telling, you know, the biggest thing is like, we tag team our patients. We both go in at the same Mm -hmm. time. We're asking, you know, questions together. You know, we're bouncing things off each other. He's got the medication side and the the medical side of things. Uh, You know, I've got the physical activity side of things. And then we always bring in our mental health provider. You know, it's it's always a multi-system approach for a reason, because Mm -hmm. we need to come at it from all angles. Mm -hmm. It is not a one system problem Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it is not a one provider problem Mm -hmm. to solve. It is mainly the patient taking control. And I think that's what you were talking about is like giving them the confidence and giving them the um, cheerleading and the feedback of, okay, then how do we handle these conversations in the future with our providers Mm -hmm. or with people in our yeah. lives so that we can, we can progress and improve. Yes, absolutely. Like we're here, like you deserve this. Yes. <laughs> you should get whoever on the team you need, or, if, you know, if something's not working for you, let's talk about it. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you and Aaron talk about how you guys share a lot of patients. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming, but also not assuming, cause we've kind of talked about it, 
that some of these patients are like, it, they come from Aaron who are pelvic floor patients. They have pelvic mm-hmm. floor pain, that kind of thing. And you also alluded to the fact that sex therapy is part of um, the therapy work that you do. So I work with pediatrics, not a common topic that I talk about on a day-to-day basis. So I'm truly in the dark about sex therapy. So, and, but you, you know, you started, you started out with the, you know, these, these, uh, sex quizzes and stuff. I want, I want you guys to tell me more, you know, what, what does that look like? What does that relationship look like? What are you guys treating? Like truly I'm in the dark. Tell me, what does this look like? What is sex therapy? What, you know, what are our pelvic floor patients look like? Um, let's talk more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I can, I can do a little, a little tidbit and then Aaron can probably jump in. So right now, kind of what's, what's speaking to me around this and what sex therapy is, is what I, what I think about is we just get set up with so much BS in our culture. Like, you are super lucky if you are listening to this podcast right now and you learn the names of your parts mm-hmm. and maybe how to avoid pregnancy when you don't want to be pregnant and how to minimize STI risk. Incredibly lucky mm-hmm. in our culture. But what about how to create satisfying sexual relationships? Or what about what your pleasure anatomy is, yeah. not just your your plumbing anatomy, which is what I call it sometimes, right? Like, do you know what the clitoris looks like underneath the surface? Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of sex therapy starts with teaching and normalizing our bodies, our sexual response, and telling people that they're not weird or there's nothing wrong with them. And that is a huge pillar of what I do. And I bet, Erin, you're just going to be like, me too. Yeah, I don't know how many times a day I say what a sex-shaming culture we live in um, yeah, in America and, and probably a good part, part of the world. Um, and I think I love the term is just setting expectations. You know, what is normal? Sometimes that first visit with someone, if they have pelvic pain or incontinence or they're, or they're pregnant, they're going through pregnancy, postpartum is literally setting up what normal is. <laughs> yeah. And that normal includes hiccups. Yeah, right? exactly. So that like sexual quote unquote problems or well, how I like to put it is we have this very demand relationship with our bodies yeah. in general, but especially sexually, like I want to be turned on. It happens right away. Yeah. I want to have an erection. It happens right away. Like I want to orgasm. I can tell you the like minute and second it's going to happen right. as opposed to like, I'm going to have an experience. It's going to unfold and my body's going to do things that it knows how to do. Yeah. Like that's a really different way of looking at things. So a lot of the interventions I use are just giving people tools to let their bodies do what they know how to do, but also knowing that it is normal Mm -hmm. that people can have really good sex lives, even if their bodies don't do exactly what they want to do at the exact moment they want it to happen. Well, and just recognizing what people are seeing in the media and in our culture, Mm -hmm. that those are actually really not normal things and um no or what they're seeing in porn and you said even like knowing your parts and what parts look like and I mean I think we're all aware of that most of that is not accurate vulvas look so different for everyone and that's okay um 
So, yeah, I think what's really cool about working with you, Lillian, is, you know, because we're going through a lot of these exercises pertaining to their bodily, physically, physical experiences, and mm-hmm. of course, bringing up the brain impacts, but then they can go to you and really break that down. And um, yeah. I really try to explain that to people so that they understand that this is still part of their sexual goals or physical goals that they have, because how your brain is processing all that matters. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, there's a lot of, um, the, the goals also go through a lot of transformation or alchemy, yeah. you know, the goals get so much more fun, yes. like someone could come in. So a really common issue addressed in sex therapy is like, I'm not having sex enough. Right. Right. Um, or there's a desire discrepancy in my relationship. And I think if people just walked out of my office and they were just like, okay, I went from two times a week to three times a week or something like that, that would be, I mean, that's, that's great. Don't get me wrong, but hopefully it's a lot richer than that. Like we discover what this is about for you. We enhance your connection with yourself and your partner, if you have one and all that sort of thing as well. Yeah. So do you see couples then together as well, or just the Mm -hmm. individual? I do both. Mm-hmm. So sometimes somebody's not ready, which is a good thing for people listening to hear sure. is sometimes somebody will come in and they're like, I'm sitting here telling you about how I masturbate and I'm crawling out of my skin, but I'm here for this. I really want to work on this, but I am not ready for my partner to be yeah. a part of this conversation. We haven't normed this. I wasn't taught how to do right. this. Let's just start you and I. Yeah. Right. And that's a great place to start and then sometimes I can also give sort of prescriptions for people to do things with their partners or sometimes a partner will come into the picture or we'll start with people together right and people can come too if they're in non-traditional relationship configurations they don't have to be married yeah. right marriage and family therapist sort of a misnomer but yeah. yeah lots of different ways this can happen and the public health world and physical therapy is very similar Um, usually I obviously see them as an individual first, but I give that option right away because intimacy with a partner, partners themselves. Um, but I, I also say, you know, this is what you need it to be, of course, and what you're looking for. But, um, I also want it to be their space first (laughs) in the sense, um, especially if I'm working with someone with pelvic pain getting comfortable in their bodies. And we, we often make a lot of masturbation goals. If that sexual intimacy is one of their goals, we, we often start there. Um, but then I get Lillian on board right away. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There's so much you can talk about. I mean, you can talk about kinks or fetishes. You can talk about wanting, you know, a lot of people are exploring, um, polyamory yeah. or open relationships. A lot of people don't. I see a lot of monogamous yeah. people who want to do really vanilla things. Um, they can talk about desire discrepancy. We can yeah. talk about my body's not working the way I think it should. It's really like if you go to a sex therapist, you're just going to somebody who is announcing to the world, hey, I have training in this and I am open to talking about this in a positive, mm-hmm. um, acknowledging shame that you may be holding, but not a not shamey way right. yeah. of addressing it. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like at this point in the conversation, people are wondering, okay, sure. Lillian just brought up a bunch of stuff that I've thought about and never talked to anyone about. How do people, so like Erin was mentioning, she gets in contact with you 
you see some of her patients that way. Um, how do people typically find you? How do they come to you? How do they yeah. come to a sex therapist? Because um, obviously yeah. you're going to be very busy. So um, how do people find yeah. a sex therapist? How do they go about um, kind of getting into someone's clinic like yours? Yeah, it's a, I mean, this day and age, it feels like it's a lot of uh, Googling, looking on directories like Psychology Today or Therapy Done or numerous others that are kind of breaking onto the scene right now. Um, a lot of that, if you know someone, right, that would, word of mouth requires that you know someone who's willing to share with you that they're doing it, but I do get friends and, you know, um, acquaintances or coworkers sometimes referrals. Um, you know, I'm in private practice, which means, yeah, I'm on those directories and I have a website and all that kind of thing. And people just email me, um, which we will share on our references today. Don't worry, folks. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, and there are clinics too that, um, or group practices where there's a lot of people that do that kind of work. Um, they can also go to asect.org, which we can put in the references too, which is the American Association for Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. You're only going to find people who are certified there, which is a process I'm actually working on right now. And there's not that many because it's so labor intensive. Right to do. It takes a couple of years typically for people to get all the didactic training and the supervision, but certainly those people can also on the website can refer to somebody else who may have openings um, or hook you up with people. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's where, you know, one of our biggest goals with this podcast is we want people to not only learn about these resources, but we want them to know how to get a hold of these resources. Mm-hmm. Is this something that um, typically insurance covers, this kind of therapy? Yeah, we have ways of um, you know charting it and talking about it that um, are, are accurate, but are just really documenting the relationship between a mental health diagnosis and sure. what's happening with someone's sexuality. Um, so your primary, that's something you got to talk about with, with the person you're seeing, but your primary diagnosis may not be, um, for example, you know, genitopelvic pain disorder, which is a, um, something in the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Health Disorders. Um, so I don't know if your particular insurance plan would cover that, but most people who are experiencing pelvic pain have some degree of anxiety or, you know, Absolutely. depressed mood about it. And so then it might be like, oh, we're going to put on a, you know, an adjustment disorder with anxiety and depressed mood because adjustment disorder is in lay people's terms, just like I'm adjusting to something. Mm-hmm. This is hard. Right. Which I, it's a, just a diagnosis that a lot of us like because it's very non-pathologizing. Yeah. 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 Of course. I think we probably all have adjustment disorder. Isn't the only constant in life change? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Oh, it's so true. Yeah. So I think, I mean, this has been a great conversation. Yes. Um, I feel like we could talk all day. Um, but I want to know, you know, Lillian, what is the biggest thing that you hope that people take away from today? What do you hope that they come away from this conversation knowing mm-hmm. and, and feeling? Yeah, I really want people who are experiencing pain right now to feel like they have a care team that makes them feel warm, fuzzy feelings. So like those providers listen to them, believe them, understand them, make them feel understood. Um, And if you have that great, like work on soaking that in like a sponge, because a lot of 
neuroscience tells us that our brains need to be told to hold in that kind of experience of being safe and secure. Um, and if you don't feel like that care team is fully fleshed out, then you can find people um, through the care team you're already working with and then also through some of the resources I mentioned to make sure that you feel as supported as you need to. And you also deserve to support yourself, whether it's putting socks on before you're getting busy yeah. Yeah. Um, or <laughs> if it's, you know, whatever. I do a lot of that work with people too, of it, not just in a sexual context, but just what's the context I need to feel good, um, whether it's a hot pack, if you have cramps um, or whatever the case may be, just getting a hug. Mm-hmm. That's really important too. Um, so I think those things are really important. How do I get the support I need outside and inside of myself? And just that people deserve to experience pleasure and joy and connection and meaning in life. And that those things, I think something Aaron and I hold that's really difficult is that those things can exist even when pain is here. Of course, we're all working, we're hoping the pain resolves. We really want to be on that team. And we don't want to wait to live life until we are pain-free because pain is a part of life. And I know you guys have talked a lot about that with aging and lots of different contexts. So, um, yeah, I think we're all just working to to help you live your life the way you want to um, that makes it richful and meaningful no matter what is happening. Yeah, I love that. I always say... um you know, really challenging people to live in duality. So like, you know, Mm -hmm. acknowledging their pain and their suffering right now, but also having tools to live right now. And um, we do that through exercise in the PT world. You do it through your brain exercises and and (laughs) showing people that they deserve that pleasure, joy, all those good things. And I know you mentioned a few books um, you and I've talked about, oh, and I love that yes. is one was, um, the pleasure prescription. So we'll put that. Yeah. In. That's a new yeah. one that just came out this year and I'm about 60 pages in, but loving it. I love already. it. I yeah. just ordered it Lily, and after you sent it to me, I was like, <laughs> oh yes, I will be reading this. Oh, oh, yes. oh yes. Um, and then the other one that I know has been pretty popular is, um, come as you are, but I also think she does a good job yeah. of yeah. kind of normalizing a must that. read. It's a must, a read, must read for um, body positivity and even what se- sexuality is. Uh, yeah, we've so much definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Lillian, what a great way to end on that positive note with some <laughs> references, but uh, our, the tradition on our podcast is, ending our recordings with something that brought you joy this week. So what brought you joy this week? Oh, I have such a good answer for this Ooh. one. I, um, I just revived an old tradition of mine, which is to do spa night, which mainly oh. is uh, like getting out my immersion blender and Googling some face mask yes. recipes. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, I made like an oatmeal and honey and apple cider vinegar one. And then, of course, the main point is you put it on your friends' faces with the cucumbers and then you take a lot of pictures to 
share with other people. Right. Yeah, of, of course. This. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But we just did that and did BuzzFeed quizzes on Friday. Nice. Great. Good old BuzzFeed quizzes. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. I have some. I have some friends that are really into BuzzFeed quizzes more than I knew. <laughs> Lillian, this was such a great conversation. Thank you so much. I learned so much today. I mean, this is like I said, this is not my normal so world much. of uh, conversations. <laughs> but I love. I I love that we started this conversation today. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm so, so grateful. Yeah. All right. Take care, everyone.